0: Hospitality Meets is brought to you by Rotacloud, the staff scheduling app for hospitality teams. Rotacloud lets you create and share rotas, record attendance, and manage your team's annual leave, all in less time than it takes to make a brew. It can also make life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotas, request holiday, and even pick up extra shifts, all through the Rotacloud mobile app. Start your 30 day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. Welcome to this week's Hospitality Meets with me, your host, Phil Street. As we are in the period of time that is affectionately known as Twixmas, I have something a little bit different for you this week. When this show was formed, I wanted to shine a light on the great and good of hospitality, showing all the wonderfully positive stuff that happens on a day-to-day basis, whilst also uncovering the amazing stories of those who work within it. Occasionally, a story pops up that just blows you away. So this week, I don't want to give you any tongue-in-cheek openers, as I just felt that that wouldn't do today's story any justice whatsoever. Enter Charlie Hodson, owner, until the end of this year at least, of Hodson & Co, the UK's smallest restaurant and also a proud ambassador of the amazing work that hospitality action do. When Charlie reached out to me to see if his story merited a spot on the show, a quick call got me asking whether this show was in fact big enough for his story. Charlie's story transcends hospitality and he speaks openly about some of the demons that have haunted him throughout his life, leading to multiple attempts at suicide, and fair warning, he talks about that in some detail, so please don't listen if that's something that you're not ready to hear. But please do try, as there are so many important learnings from his journey. You might be asking, why a story of doom and gloom, Phil? That's not what this show is about. Well, as today's story will demonstrate, positivity can be found even in the darkest moments in life. You'll learn so much from this chat, notwithstanding what a top, top bloke Charlie is for being so open about a very difficult subject, but also just how important the work of hospitality action is and why Charlie is such a proud ambassador for the work that they do even to this day. So grab yourself a brew, take a deep breath and get comfy, and I hope you enjoy. And if you are enjoying the show, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast app of choice. It really makes more difference than I can tell you. And a huge hospitality beats welcome to Charlie Hodson. Good morning, how are you? I'm alright. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good, good. What's new in your world?
1: What's new in our world? Um <laughs> for me I'm counting down to the thirtieth of December when I uh when I retire from commercially from hospitality after thirty five
0: odd years. you really? Wow. Well, we'll probably get into into that then at some point uh, down the fullness of, of the the discussion. I remember you actually when we met, because there is a bit of a story around all of this. You very kindly reached out to me on on Instagram because you you were being wonderfully positive about some of the chats that we've had, and then asked if you know if your story might be of interest. And the more I kind of dug into that, the more I was like, absolutely. But then fortuitously. I saw you at live at the uh, the chef or the Hospitality Action Chef Dinner at the the Nobu earlier this year, just what a few weeks ago, really, and had no idea of the fullness of your story. So, yeah, you're an inspirational character, and I, I remember you saying then when we met that you were uh, retiring, and I just kind of kind of just went over my head that you were doing that. So, yeah, well, I mean, welcome to the show, and glad we got in before you you retire from this good industry yeah i know some
1: you know you you, i think in our industry you go out for for many different reasons you go out you know because you retire because of age or you come out of it financially and you can no longer going on or obviously you know three years ago people were leaving our industry because of lockdown and because they had no choice Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: i think for me at the moment in time we go out on the 30th of december we've got a full waiting list so every single table is booked and obviously we're the smallest restaurant in the UK. So we open for a table of two minimum up to a table of sort of 18. And I always had this thing in my head, you know, 35 odd years of being in the industry in and out. should We say like a lot of us are working my way up from veg prep, I guess, many, many years ago. And um, I think a life that's tainted with alcoholism and uh, a real, real uh, addiction to alcohol that was, um, that was nearly my killer, I guess. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll. I'm sure we'll come into that through the natural course of, the, of your your journey. But before we do go all the way back to the beginning, just just tell the world who you are and what it is that you you actually do. So, um, my name is Charlie Hodson. I'm a
1: Norfolk boy. We're based up in Aylsham, just north of Norwich, right on the east of our beautiful country.
0: Lovely part of the um, world.
1: Absolutely beautiful part of the world. Uh, foremost not utmost, I'm a chef by trade and I have been for the majority of my life, mixed with other little avenues of life. Um, and loved it, loved every minute of it, even when um, I wasn't uh, on, I guess, these way to say, even when my mind wasn't in it fully. And to the outside world, everyone thought I loved it, which I did. But then I've struggled with my mental health since I was 14. And during lockdown, obviously, As operators, we could no longer uh, do what we did. We couldn't serve the public with food. We couldn't, as I I love to say, our industry is full of passion. It's full of joy. And as chef or anyone involved in our industry, what makes us tick is part of our DNA, being able to cook, being able to serve people, being able to, you know, all the hundreds of aspects that are involved within hospitality, within our industry, all that came to an abrupt end in March. So we had to do something else. So we opened a little cheese shop in the middle of this beautiful market town, just north of Norwich. And it was wonderful, you know, no supermarkets are open, no pubs, restaurants are open. And um, it took us back to the old days of how people shopped. You know, they go to the butchers for their meat, the cheese shop for their cheese, the bakers for their bread. And then sadly, as uh, lockdown started to ease off and then, you know, three years later, it was all all back to normal, so to speak, for most people, the people dissipated, went back to supermarkets. So we had to come up with something else. But during the time we had the cheese room, every Tuesday and a Thursday in the front of the cheese room, I'd do a table of two and four. Because as a chef, you can't you can't stop cooking. Even next year, you, know, I, I jokingly, I say half-heartedly that I'm retiring on the 30th of December. We're retiring commercially, but that doesn't mean I won't still be cooking in some way, shape or form. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can't take that out of a chef's life or anyone that's involved in this industry. There's not many people who have been in the industry you know, most of their life and then can wake up one day and say, well, actually, tomorrow I'm going to be a roofer. Because, um, like I say, it's in our DNA. It's what we do. It's what we love. Serving a little, a little bit of joy through plates of food. So, um, like I said, every Tuesday and Thursday night, we served a table of two and four. And then last November... The business just wasn't holding itself as a juice shop anymore. So we had to um, reinvent it. So all my friends who'd been coming and strangers who'd been coming for table of two and four said, "Um, oh, we still want to come. Where can we, you know, where can we come and eat food? So we sort of had a quick turnaround in two weeks, uh, redesigned the layout and then invented ourselves as the smallest restaurant in the UK. And um, since then, we've been fully booked. So we've been nigh on fully booked for a year. Right. Brilliant. Just- which is sort of but then we went to five nights a week, so Tuesday Tuesday through to Saturday, plus dining at home. So I have other chefs who, who help out doing dining in people's homes on Fridays and Saturdays. And um, our little space in Norfolk, we've been catering from a table of two. So you can come in fully bespoke, private dining. And um I thought, you know, people people might take me up on it. We might do sort of two or three tables a week and that'd be great. I might have to keep pushing it out to keep it keep it going and um <laughs> came as a bit of surprise when we sort of seemed to be um fully booked
0: 6 months in advance yeah that's and good marketing though marketing yourself as the smallest restaurant in uh, in the UK it kind of puts the intrigue into people's minds oh I feel like I must go and see this place yeah it's it's amazing you know we've had i'd guess 30% of our business is locally
1: and the other sixty five percent is from all over the country from London to Surrey you know we have people coming across from the midlands who, but and, and the nice thing about it is it also spreads the joy a little bit because when people aren't local they book into local hotels and and airbnbs and bed and breakfast and then they'll spend the next day they'll go to the local pizzeria for lunch and they'll go to all the little shops and alham's an enclave of beautiful 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 little shops in an old. Fashion type marketplace award winning. We won the best uh, marketplace small town in the UK. Wow. So it spreads that little bit of joy a bit. So it's not just about us. It's never just been about us. Never just been about Hudson Co. It's much more about the wider audience, you know. And and hopefully the people coming here have spent that five pound in another little shop because that's what it's all about, you know. It's when we go out. I think we tend to think nowadays. Oh, you know, you go to your local butchers where well, you've got to spend thirty, forty quid, otherwise it's not worth going there. Well actually if you if everyone went into their local butchers their local fish merchants their local greengrocers, how much would that help our local economy? It would help it a hundredfold, you know. It's mm. that's that's what it's really been about for us is spreading that little bit of joy of what hospitality brings and spreading it out to the wider audience. And hopefully yeah. other people have, have have profited from that. So absolutely.
0: Yeah, I know I, I love that that kind of the, the community spirit ethos around that. And I, to- I totally get it. I, I understand as well, that, you know, people's lives are, are busy and-, and convenience plays a huge factor in, in uh, a lot of choices like that, but actually there's also this kind of, I-, I think this general feeling that the the butchers is more expensive and the greengrocers is more expensive, but actually generally what you get is a higher ca- quality of product. And uh, I've found as well from my local butcher, as an example, it's been a while since i've done this comparison but maybe sainsbury's does a you know a lamb leg special for 10 quid or something like that and you buy you go and buy that lamb leg and it's tiny and in the cooking process it just shrinks down so much and you end up getting if you're lucky you know seven or eight portions or something like that out of it whereas you go to the butcher and okay you pay you know three times that but actually there's barely any reduction in size through the cooking process. And so actually you end up getting more portions of meat. So the economy of scale is actually quite similar. It's just because you feel like you're parting with more money up front. But in actual fact, if you've got the means to store your food in a freezer or something like that, it's a re- it's, it's still the best way to, to do it. And you get a better calibre of product, I think.
1: No, no, totally. We used to... For years, I was very heavily involved with cookery stages and we used to do quite a lot with local authorities. One of them we did sort of about four years ago, a year before lockdown, was for a local authority. So they gave us the the idea of what can you produce in a cookery theatre on stage, mobile cookery theatre in the middle of a, a wonderful town. We need five dishes that you can make for less than a pound that would be what people would get or families would get from takeaways or, you know, like a pizza, like a... Uh, a sausage and egg muffin. And it's all these little things that we can make for much less than a pound. And one of the ladies said to me, it was on, and she explained she was on really low income and she had to feed a family of six. She said, you know, there's no way that I can go to a farm shop and buy my vegetables because I can go to a supermarket and I can buy a kilo of carrots, or a big cauliflower, or lots of Brussels sprouts and a kilo. And my, my, my question to her was, so if you buy your two kilo bag of carrots, how many of those do you use? And she said, well, we'll use about half, but by the time we go to use the rest of them, they've gone off, so we have to throw them away. So my question to her was, so if you go to a butcher's and buy 10 pieces of bacon and cook it, you'll find that your 10 pieces of bacon from a butcher's will have exactly the same size, nigh on, after they've been cooked. If you go to elsewhere to buy your bacon which is mass-produced which is packed in loads and loads of water by the time you cook your bacon your 10 slices they'll reduce to the equivalent of six so yeah by shopping locally and supporting locally not only are you feeding your family better and healthier you're supporting local farmers you're supporting local people you're supporting local economy but you actually end up having more food you know, and it's, you have to be careful what you say, because, you know, we all need supermarkets in our lives, but therefore we also need our high street to be vibrant and we need mm. our high street to be alive because all it will end up will be in empty streets and you only have to look on the news nowadays throughout the whole of the country and you'll see high streets that are desolate, that are empty. You know, yeah. and I think that's, that's that's my big fear. And out of the chef's world as a human being, you know, that that's people's lives as well.
0: Mm. Absolutely. I don't even get me started on the, um, the, the supermarkets and farmers. That's a whole different ballgame. I've, I've uh, recently gotten behind a, a campaign driven by the, the, I can't remember his surname, but Guy at Riverford Farms, because we're, we're a, a, a purveyor of, of Riverford uh, as a, a means to get some organic veg into our house. And he's been campaigning to get the supermarkets paying fairly, because the, the British farming industry is on its knees. It's, you know, it's on the cusp of collapse. And now a lot of that's driven by the fact that, um, that the supermarkets have, over a long period of time, continually driven down the price. Um, so in actual fact, that's those, that one kilogram bag of carrots that you're, you're getting in your local supermarket, there's probably, it's exactly the same principle as fair trade avocados from the other side of the world, except it's happening on your doorstep people are not getting paid fairly for the work involved in producing these things. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, and the prime example of that is milk, mm. you know, um, but let's not go on to that one because we, we could have the longest ever podcast no, restaurant in the
0: UK, but we, we could end up having the longest ever podcast session. Yeah, indeed. And this is an upbeat podcast. And yep. uh, yeah, we've got into a bit of a rant here, haven't we? But I think, you know, all of these things are really important. And I, I think as well, and it, bringing it back to hospitality all of the the supply chain things that we've just discussed there very very quickly are all very relevant to hospitality as well in terms of how you know where you get your produce from and where you get your uh, the things that you're selling on to and cooking on to to uh, you know for your product so it it is where it's all interlinked and it's all part of the same thing it's not just about the consumer and the supermarket, as it were. There's a whole different ball game of things around that.
1: Yeah, no, very much so. You know, for us, it's all about um, everything we, we have from us, or we, we supply, we try and source within 28 miles of our front door, apart from the obvious things like lemons and limes and things. But our oil is produced a mile and a half down the road. Our rapeseed oil, our vegetables come from the other side of the road and sourced in Norwich, which is sort of 15 miles down the road. Even to things like black pudding, you know, it's all... And our butchery is from local butchers and our fish comes from a local fishmonger. And that's part of, obviously, the main reason is because we, we want to know exactly where our products come from. So we can talk about them 100% with the knowledge that we, we know exactly who's produced them. Um, but also because we know it's doing our part to support local, to help local, to help local economy. But also, we also know from that we get the best products in the world. Mm. You no know, right on our doorstep, you know, like you said earlier about Norfolk being an amazing county it is stu- it's the most stunning uh county
0: for a chef's larder. It's just amazing I love yeah. it. brilliant, right, well, we've completely gone off piste but yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bring it back, and we're gonna go all the way back now to the beginning of your journey. How did you get into hospitality in the first place
1: good by 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 really I ended up. In London, many many years ago. So I guess to take it back, it's not hospitality found me really. I was quite lost as a soul, and I, for certain reasons, I couldn't work. Wait to get out of my life that I was in. I learned to drink from the age of sixteen. I learned to drink amazingly well. Right. Um, amazingly well, you know, life and soul of the party. Alcohol at that point was as much as my DNA and anything else in the world. And I was a very good drinker, but that stayed with me all the way through till two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen. So I've been I've been a heavy drinker since two thousand, sure since nineteen eighty six. There you go. And I I stumbled into hospitality. I stumbled into kitchens
0: at the age of twenty three. And um, i had been. How, traveling- did, how, how did that How did that come around? How did the the stumbling into to come about? So I couldn't
1: I, I was my mate was working in a kitchen and um I'd just been I'd had some issues that I was trying to deal with and I just wanted to be away and I wanted to find the world. I think as we all do as, as youngsters, we want to get into a new life and and hospitality for me was great because um it was surrounded by alcohol. Right. And everyone used to drink heavily after work. So for me, gosh, that was like putting a child in a sweet shop. So you know, no one had an excuse not to drink after work because everyone in the kitchen went out after work and we'd stay out till very, very late, get up very, very early and go do the same thing. You know, it's that sleep repeat syndrome, yeah. which many chefs in the 80s went into. And um I found very quickly that I could cook. So I went up through the ranks uh very, very quickly, moving back to Norfolk in 2013 after being all over the world in different different. Jobs and different employment, never really been a happy soul, though being quite a sad soul, not being a very good dad when I was younger, not being a good family member, and I battled all these things, but as a as a bloke, I thought I was all right, you know I thought i was I was gifted, I was clever, I was cocky, I was quite rude that but that wasn't that wasn't me, that was how the alcohol. As we know and anyone else is listening how we know that alcohol affects everything you do your mood your tolerance of people your tolerance of everything mm. and i moved back to norfolk in 2010 a couple of years meandered around a little bit did a little bit of cooking a little bit of this a little bit of that then 2013 i landed an amazing job which we were honored in seven months of getting two straight AA rosettes took the kitchen up to a really cool, super cool level with massive waiting list and everything else. And I thought that was all my problems answered. I thought that's what it was. I needed something I needed some accolade that would then make me feel happy. But I still was drinking uh, like a fish. Luckily enough, mate, I've never touched drugs because I do believe if I'd have, drugs would have entered my life, I'd have been dead a lot earlier than what I'd planned. And all life for me really, um, from the age of sort of sixteen. Phil was all about finding my way to um to suicide
0: right jeez okay and
1: from the age of 16 to 2017 predominantly most of my my daily life had been trying to plan trying to work out trying to find the courage because you know what other people think that used to be the the saying that if you take your own life it's a coward's way out and i can assure anyone who's listening when you meticulously plan what you want to do with your life um through the act of suicide that's not a coward's way out and so that sort of encapsulated my life with the alcohol it went hand in hand alcohol find my own peace alcohol find my own... it was this merry-go-round i i couldn't ever find a way out of no matter how i tried i had a beautiful family and uh, uh you know to the outside world everything looked like it was beautiful and rosy and great because you learn to hide things you know yeah. so
0: was it the, was it the the, was the alcohol the thing that that was responsible? Do you think for keeping you in this state of mind, whereby suicide was the 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 thing that you felt would bring you the greatest amount of peace?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the suicide was my blanket. You know, like as a, like as a child, you have a you have a little blanket or snuggly or a fa- or a favorite cuddly toy, you know, doll, whatever boy or girl, teddy bear, that you take to bed with you, and that is your your like a snuggle blanket, I guess we used to call them as kids. But alcohol was my snuggle blanket. Alcohol was the thing that kept me safe, that gave me an amazing power to blanket everything out that had happened to me as a child. It was like the greatest war and it was the greatest thing that would stop reality from actually Emerging, so I didn't have to tell my story because I'd much rather be known. I'd much rather people know me as Charlie Hodson, really good chef. But he's a pain to be around when he's had a drink. I'd much right. people wouldn't know that at the time than know than actually say to people, well, "Actually, hi, my name's Charlie Hodson. Um I'm dealing with a lot of stuff because of things that happened to me in my childhood that I can't talk about." And that was too hard for me to say up until 2017 because I couldn't imagine sharing that with the world, because it, I couldn't face up to those things, because I thought they were my fault. And when you blame yourself for 30 odd years of your life, or you think they're your fault, what happened to you as a child, and through childhood till the age of 14, there is nothing in the world that can change your mind that it wasn't your fault. So alcohol was, was my snuggle blanket it is where I went to. It's what protecting me from the reality of what had happened to me in the past
0: yeah. yeah 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 we've spoken about that off microphone and that's not not something we're going to cover today because it's not relevant really to to your your story but I suppose its, it's relevance comes in the fact that it was keeping you in this dark place in the fact that it, it was keeping you in this I suppose this desire that okay I, I kind of can't wait to go and have a drink again because that's the place that it keeps me away from, I suppose, facing up to it or, you know, or, or, or dealing with it in some way. Is, would I be right in saying that? Yeah, no, absolutely, totally. You know, I
1: remember used to bollocking younger chefs because they'd come into work and they were clearly still hanging from the night before. And I'd be hanging, but I'd built this enabbed skill and no one would know, you know, no one would know. I might have had a bottle or two bottles before I even started working the day just to get me through it, just to get me through uh, the crap that I felt 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks of the year, ongoing since I was, you know, 14 and trying to deal with it. And all my mates, you know, on good days would think I was a laughing soul of a party, but it would end up in tears. You know, you'd wake up thinking, God, who have I got to apologise to? Uh, what, how have I embarrassed myself? How I embarrass other people around me who I care about, who I love, you know, it it becomes such a boring thing in life when you spend most of your time thinking about who you've got to apologise to, whereas now the world is a very different place.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Five-star hospitality means having the right people in the right place at the right time. And that's exactly where RotorCloud can help. RotorCloud is the online platform that makes planning rotors, recording attendance, and managing annual leave easy. It's simple, drag-and-drop interface lets you create and share rotors with your team in minutes, while our built-in budgeting tools mean you'll know exactly how much you're spending on staffing before sending the rotor out. RotorCloud also makes life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotors, request time off, and pick up extra shifts, all through the RotorCloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. When did it all kind of come to a head? What, I mean, you, you said that you meticulously planned your exit. Uh, we'll just call it that for want of a better phrase. Was there a, was there a, a specific moment where you thought, right, that that's it now? I I need to start planning. I need to start making sure that this. This is something that I, um, you know, that I, I basically end it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Some in 2017, which I think was the year in my life that stands out, I, I, I tried to take my own life two times within a, within a course of sort of four and a half months. And Obviously, it never came to fruition, uh, but by the grace of God. And, um, you know, one time we laugh about, you know, after surviving bowel cancer and everything else, I joke and laugh that, and say that cigarettes were my, a cigarette saved my life because I'm on the pre occasion of uh, standing in the middle of a wood at uh, one in the morning, having everything mapped out. And um, I thought everything was mapped in my head. So everything was planned. I knew no one would find me till six o'clock in the morning. And um I went to have a cigarette because as a smoker, as an addiction, you know, it's when you haven't got a cigarette, you really, really want one. So I drove literally, it's about three-mile drive back to this garage on a roundabout. And um, as we all know, when you go to garages and you buy anything, you're very lucky if they say anything more to you than that's £15.90, thank you very much. You put your credit card in, tap here, and out you go. They never say another word to you.
0: Yeah.
1: So I turned up to this garage and bought some cigarettes so I could go back and have a cigarette and, and then um, uh, find my own so to speak, and bought cigarettes and tapped my card. As I turned to walk away, the cashier, the lady behind the, the counter, just simply said, hope you have a safe journey home. Right. And as I, I walked back to the car and I thought, what, what are you doing, mate? A stranger has just said, I hope you have a safe journey home. And I think that was the... That was the, <clears throat> that was the first real time in my life after being loved immensely by lots of people it was a stranger who didn't know me who wanted me to have a safe journey home so I got in the car and I, 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 that night was finished and I thought you've really got to sort yourself out this is this is no good mate this is not it's not a good place to be in you've got to find help but like as always with anyone else who's really suffering with mental health you know at the moment in time it's forgotten the next day and you think well actually right. If I stop drinking as much as I do, if I knuckle down, if I find something else in life. And I was already involved with Hospitality Action at this time. And however much I supported them, I still wasn't in my own head place to ask for help. And um, take it forward, uh, August of that year, another... Another time, and it was a Sunday afternoon, but I'd been planning for a month again. So it'd been like three months of what I call normality in my head. I'd calmed everything down, calmed my drinking down, everything else. But three months later, I found myself again in a place of utter darkness, and I mean utter darkness, where you can't see a way out of anything. Um, and you feel, well, you, I can't talk about what happened to me as a child. And unless I talk about what happened to me as a child, I'm never going to heal. I'm never going to start to find my way out of the darkness. And that was too painful for me to open that box at the time. So I thought, right, let's try something different. And um, on a Sunday afternoon, I headed out on a bus with my little Burberry bag that had a nice pair of shorts folded in, a nice T-shirt, a nice pair of polished loafers went on the bus specifically, so no cameras could pick me up on number plates. I'd found myself in uh, a town with a multi-story car park, and I'd put a post up on Twitter saying, i having a lovely time at the beach. We're going for a walk along the beach. One of my best friends had seen it and got concerned and started messaging me, but I knew as soon as I started answering phone calls and messages, someone might try and change my mind from what I'd spent a month meticulously planning to the infinite detail. So I ignored it all. And then I start having numbers from a withheld number. And I thought, who's this, you know, who's calling? And I don't know why I, I answered one of the withheld numbers and it was Norfolk police because one of my other friends at the time was an inspector and had been contacted and seen another post that someone else had put up saying they were worried about me. And they were really concerned that I wanted to do myself harm. And I said, no, it's okay, I'm just going for a walk. And know, managed to blag them off a little bit. But for some unknown reason, they'd found out how and where I was. And um, these amazing uh, a WPC and two other PCs turned up, who stopped me from carrying out my... my and I was so close feel so close to walking off the side of a multi-story building. And it feels, it absolutely fills me with absolute, utter dread. Looking back on those, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, looking back on that moment in time now, because I know maybe if it was two minutes, three minutes later, um, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. And I look at my life now, and it's still hard, but it's joyful. It's, it's a really beautiful place to be in. And I'm surrounded by beautiful people. I've got an amazing partner. I've got a beautiful son. But all that was tainted by the fact that I couldn't talk about what had happened in my life as a child. But anyway, so cut a long story short. So the police said to me, you know, you can't do this. We can't allow you to do this. So we'll give you a choice. You can come to the hospital with us and we'll wait for the um, emergency uh, mental health crisis team to come over. They were about two and a half hours away. Or we'll section you because we're that fearful that if we if we leave you on your own. And I said to them, well, you know, I will. There's nothing I can't, there's nothing in my head that will stop me from wanting to carry out this act of suicide, find my own peace. So they came and sat me in, in the hospital until my best mate turned up. And Mark Lewis phoned me, our chief exec, And this lovely WPC had taken my mobile phone because it just didn't stop ringing. All these people phoning up who were concerned. Mm. And Mark phoned up and I I told him what was going on. And he said, mate, I'll get in my car, you know, considering Mark lives in London. We'd built a really good friendship up um, through supporting HA, but he didn't quite realise how poorly I was in my head. And um, he just said, mate, I'll get in the car and I'll drive up. I'll drive up now, Sunday night, I'll drive up. So that's no, okay. Um, I'm, I'm, my best mates just turned up, and the, the police are just about to leave, and the crisis team are coming over. So I'm going to talk to them and and um and clear my headspace, and hopefully find a find a path I need to. So, but by the grace of God, I then sought counselling through HA. I went to see a specialist counsellor who was um through the police, through Norfolk Police. And I had to make historical sexual offence charges against a family member and all sorts of things. And I had two weeks of utter turmoil, but I got the opportunity to face my demons. And so I ended up calling it and I've I've been very uh, vocal about it. So I surrounded myself by people I knew who were 100% understood where I was and where I needed to be. And it came under the banner of my saving grace, including HA, who were, who were in, in, inspirationally beautiful in just listening. And and that's the first time I'd got the, we've got you. You know, whereas before, yeah. you know, we hear all these things about charities and saying, you know, we're here for you night and day, 24 hours a day and it's the first time i really really understood that we've got you bit that um and they have been by my side ever since and how lucky i am
0: yeah god man i i i want to give you a hug we're doing this virtually and i can't because i also know you, we have hugged before and you give the best hugs man um it yeah and i remember when we were were speaking about your journey in terms of what did we want to cover and all of the the things and it was it you know as we've discussed before this is a you know this is generally an upbeat podcast where we're shining a light on the great and good that happens in the industry and hospitality action is the great and good that happens in the industry one of the 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 greatest things that exists so then you know sometimes it, it, this might be a tough listen for for some people to to hear your story. But in actual fact, I, I just think it's essential that people hear it because they have they've got you. You know that the this there's this wonderful body behind the industry uh, there for people when they need them the most. And you know to even kind of contemplate how close you came, and for us to not then have this opportunity to talk is actually you know I haven't lived your pain, but even just thinking about it there, it was. It was like, God, you know, the, the, the sliding doors moments of our lives, you know, that's, it's just, it doesn't even worth, it's not worth thinking about. But the the wonderful message is, is, is Hospitality Action um, and what an amazing charity they are.
1: You know, absolutely. I think, you know, and it's an upbeat podcast, but for it, for, for it to be upbeat for me, we have to tell our story.
0: Yeah, I, I agree.
1: We have to we have to tell our story because neither of us know out of how many people might listen into this at some point. We never know that one person who might just be sitting there, and I've got always had this thing in my head, and this is also something else I love about HA more than anything else. We can't all change the world, but each of us as individuals, if we can help change one person's life for the better, and that person goes and changes another life, because that's the real magic of of charity and you know, as they say, charity begins at home. And, and HJ for me is is family. It, it's it's home. It's where I feel safe. So yeah, we have to talk about the nitty gritty yeah. to get the good message, the the the, the amazing message out, and HJ's message of we've got you, because it is. It's you know, it's not just a billboard advert. It's not just a false promise. It's a, a reassurance that you know, in our bad times they got us. In our good times they have got us. Our times together, as you know, when we're all at you know, awards and everything else, we're all having a good drink together. And now, you know what, Phil, it's amazing. Um, I can go out now, I used to drink to hide, but now I'll still have the odd drink and I'll still sometimes get tipsy. But it's it's the most wonderful feeling being able to have a drink and get up in the morning without a raging hangover because I'm a social animals so for me I, I love I love seeing people I love spending time with them I love having a quiet drink but what I love the most is getting up in the morning not sitting there for two hours thinking with my hand in my head thinking oh on earth did I offend last night
0: mm-hmm. yeah um, that's, and that's really interesting as well actually because you know I, for I'm lucky enough to have not had an alcohol addiction or any other addiction that I'm aware of maybe apart from podcasting but the um, and and everything that we know as outsiders looking in is that you know the, the 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 theory is is that when you've had the addiction is that it that's it teetotal for the for the rest of your life. But it's it's interesting that you have the the level of control to know that actually alcohol was serving you or serving is probably not the right word, but it was doing what it was meant to do for you in the time that it was you know, keeping you in your dark place, basically. But now that you've kind of addressed the demons, is that that's not its purpose anymore. It's not there to do that anymore because you don't need to keep these things hidden away anymore. You know, they're out. People know, you know, and, you know, and and so by doing so, you you could almost have a a completely different relationship with alcohol. Is that... I'm not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just coming at this from a... Uh, a logical perspective is it fair to say that that's that's kind of the the case with this
1: yeah no absolutely totally um we have a much we have a much different relationship whereas the fact that alcohol there is now as a treat a treat that i respect that i i know that i i wake up every day And I'll have an amazing cup of coffee and think, right, today, this is our jobs for today. This is our life for today. And I don't need to hide anymore. I don't need to, you know, if people don't get it, yeah, I care about it. People don't think, you know, what's happened to me as a past can be that catalyst that's okay. But I know. You know, the people around me who I love and who I care about and who love me and care about me, um, they know. Um, Am I worried about what the greater world thinks? Maybe a little bit uh, I get often get asked well you we well, shouldn't really be drinking at all because you know maybe that might come back to you uh, maybe it might I might get run over by a bus tomorrow so I try and live each day to the best of my ability to those people around me to what we do as a business to to give people joy and we go back to that you know because it's supposed to be an upbeat podcast as you said and it's about joy it's about Uh, the joy of life, you know, Um, and like I said, when I saw you, we had a massive hug and it's, you know, and we we saw each other by flute that night because you were there and I know you'd had to hear me speak, which I'm, you know, which I'm always very thankful when I'm asked to speak or I offer to speak on behalf of HA because it's our story. It's, it's all of our stories. And there's many people in the room that night, who I knew could relate to that, because so many people came up and said, you know, we relate to how you feel, Charlie, but we're too scared, too nervous to admit that we have the same issues through mental health. And then, you know, I have people like Atul Kachir comes up and gives me the biggest hug in the world, and it's like, you're all right. You know, It's um, and we are. We just need that. We've forgotten, we've forgotten in the world how to love each other, I think, a
0: little bit. Mm. Well, I mean, that comes back to... A little bit of the point that we were making all the way back at the beginning about that community spirit right, and about the fact that actually going out and getting your your food and whatever it is that you're you're buying into your house was a very social experience uh, but now it could be the most antisocial experience that you've ever had you don't even need to go to the supermarket to get food delivered to your house or any other your books or equipment or whatever you need you could you could literally just stay in and losing that social connection that human connection i think is it's a massive part of all of our dna's even if you're an introverted soul i I still think there's an element of everybody needs human connection
1: yeah i and i think you know we go back to ha and 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 the joy of of the charity and what it does you know they they have this they're befriending service so when people have retired out of our industry as so many of them do you know they're Husbands or wives can pass where they might not have any children. They might not have any other family members, but they've left the industry that is surrounded by people on a daily basis. Yeah. You know? And all of a sudden they find themselves retired sitting in a flat or sitting, sitting in the home. And one, one of the things I love about HA the most is their befriending service where people get a birthday card. They get a phone call. They, you know, we all, the joy. Do you remember the old joy of when your phone used to ring. When before, before the days of mobiles, and the house phone would phone for someone to say hi. I haven't spoken to you for ages because we didn't have social media, or you received a letter or a card through the post. And I, however small that might sound to a lot of people, it brings joy. And like you're saying, you can, everything can be delivered to your house nowadays. So people don't always necessarily need to go out. They don't need to see people in the world. Or they might be too frail. So, you know, imagine if you're in your 80s and you don't, you don't get to see anyone from day to day, but all of a sudden this card comes through, signed off from Hospitality Action. that just says, thinking of you on your birthday or a phone call to make sure you're all right. And I, I just think those, those little things from days of old are the most magical um, because we live in such a fast action based of life. And we we forget about people too quickly. Mm. We forget about other human souls. We're so engrossed in what we're doing every day, and, and uh, wanting to produce the best food, or it just life encompasses us so quickly that we don't have time to remember those people who might not be in such a fortunate place to be, you know. And even that bit, the, the "we've got you" story relates back to those. Who retired from our industry? That you might be out of it, but you're not forgotten about. Yeah, because it's a charity. We've still got you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, what, what's your role, Charlie, with with Hospitality Action? What are you doing with them? Well, I was lucky enough to be the first ambassador when we did a dinner at Holcomb, We launched um,
1: uh, HA in East uh, in Norfolk in eastern regions in 2017 with my great mate Alan Miller, and who um, was a uh, he was at the time, he was um, head of development uh, for events up at Holcombe Estate. But it's one of the, do you know what, one of the biggest things that, um, so i just gone off on a tangent very quickly. And Al was a great mate, one of my my most, my best friend in the whole wide world. And sadly, through lockdown, he sadly passed away through a heart attack, both the same age, two weeks apart on our birthdays, same age. And, um, and he's a great supporter of HA. As Holcomb Estate are. Another one of the biggest things in my 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 wanting to be alive, wanting to be joyful, because Al lived he loved life, loved it to the absolute best anyone ever could. And that was also another big thing that I used to put in my head, and I still keep into my head this day, just to make sure I keep grounded and even and don't let those thoughts sneak back in. Mills would love wouldn't want me to do what I did. Uh, because he loved life. And I find now I, I think of him and I look at him and I think that'd be really dis- disrespectful to someone who, and trust me, on some days of my, over the past couple of years, I've slumped back into that darkness a little bit. Thought I'd love to be with you, mate. But that'd be so utterly disrespectful to Mills. Because I'd, I'd then live for the next hundred years with him banging on at me every day. Or how stupid it was to do the act. So it's, you know, losing my best mate also helped me not to ever want to go down that dark path again. And HA, you know, to me, my role in HA is to talk honestly and openly about my battles for suicide and addiction, foremost and uttermost, because that's the part of our journey that we have to start with. And my biggest role in HA is to share thanks to share their story to share their we've got your story to share the fact that there's amazing things that happen but you know people like craig prentice uh walk for Wellbeing, who he he you know very well yeah um you know to raise 100 grand on a sunday with everyone walking for ha it's just amazing just and that 100 grand goes so far just to help so many different strangers who none of us know and it's like the boys who are rowing who will leave uh, the canary islands in 10 days time you know chris and robbie who are rowing the atlantic who in their right mind would want to row in oceans of 20 foot waves yeah in a
0: small confined boat yes indeed. and did and I, well, I was lucky enough to have them on for a catch up, which will be aired at some point over the next couple of weeks. But um, as as of when this goes out, it's probably been aired already. And they had uh, they gave me a little tour of the boat through the the camera on their their phones. And uh, yeah, it's a bit cosy, that's you're for sure. So, so yeah, you're you're absolutely right, though. But I think this is the 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 thing is that, and that's they're also another case in point. I know they're doing that because they needed hospitality action through COVID. When you know there was a lot of darkness uh, in a lot of people's lives at, at that time, so that from their perspective, that they just feel like they're paying that back, you know. And so I think any every one of us probably has a, a responsibility to then pay it forward. Because if you are lucky enough, as you say, to to not be facing the demons that you faced in in your own story, or have your own battles against whatever it might be, financial issues you know the cost of living crisis whatever it might be if you're lucky enough to not be in a position where these things are dominating your life on a day-to-day basis then you need to pay it forward you've got to because I think there, there's another wonderful charity only a pavement away we're only uh, a couple of steps away from something going horribly wrong it doesn't matter how successful you are and how you you gauge success is a is like plucking something out of the sky in any case but so yeah keep, uh, the message that i would send is, is that listen to to charlie's story listen to all the other stories that are out there as well take take power from that if you are feeling anything that's resembling what you have felt then reach out to hospitality action if you're not then reach out to hospitality action and see how you can help Yeah, know very much so you know when we met in london and
1: you heard me speak that's the uh that was the first time ever publicly, and it was about saying thank you. You know, because so many times in our life we, we're helped. We're helped by so many different people. And as soon as we're we feel better and we feel back on track, we forget that who helped us get to that place. Yeah. Whoever it might be. But in very small token, for me being on stage in front of 450 people and, you know, the peers of our industry and people I so, so admire uh, and strangers alike, it was a very small, but very significant part of me because I wanted Mark and the team to know me and Mark often talk about, you know, how thankful I am to H.A. But how do you really thank a charity that saved your life? Yeah. You know, how do you, for me, how do I thank them? I thank them by living and, And talking about HA as and when I can, uh, not to throw it down to people's necks, because we want people to understand the benefit of HA, you know, and and what they do in all their different from emergency grant funds to the boys running across the Atlantic, you know, to raise 250 grand in the middle of possibly the worst season in the world. And from Craig, who does Walk for Wellbeing, and you doing the podcast and your support of HA. It's about community, and you go back to that all the time. It's the joy of friendship for me. If I can sum up for my part, it's the joy of friendship with HA at the core of all we do. Um, But then with us tightly around the peripherals, because we don't want a little campfire, you know, we don't want a little few sticks on our fire that people, it just glows and people just walk past. We want our flame to be up there, you know, so people see it and they... They see the people who are supporting it because uh, for whatever reasons, because it's been our benefit, it's because people have faith in HA, but more so because we're supposed to all be friends and to encompass friendship, it's about love of each other, love of each company and and understanding And when times get a little bit tough, not going, well, I haven't got five minutes to phone him today, I'll I'll do it tomorrow. Then you forget about it again, then you forget about it again. Mm But yeah, it's a joy of friendship for me, Phil. The joy yeah. of being able to share that. But it, like I said, it has to be spoken. We have to talk about the darkness to be able to walk through the lightness.
0: No, I completely agree. I think that the power in your story is phenomenal. And I, I'll i be forever, forever grateful for you to sharing it with us on on this platform. If people want to reach out to you, Charlie, to to talk to you about this, to talk to about Anything that that might be relevant to them that you feel they feel that you might be able to help them with, what's the best methods of them to to get in contact with you?
1: Um, through my Instagram, Hodson and Co. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they can they can get it from our our Instagram account or through you. Please feel free. And obviously, you know, um, with HA, you know, if people are if you know someone that's really suffering at the moment or they need advice financially, personally, work, HR go to HA, look at what we do as a charity. I never I never thought for one instance it would be part of my saving grace five, six years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um. yeah, here I am, full of joy, which yeah. I am. Yeah. You know, it's joyful. It's, how, how, like, go back to that. How do you, how do you ever contemplate saying thank you for someone who saved your life?
0: I think you nailed it when you said live. And, yeah live happily um, and if you can't live happily then find somebody that can help you live happily and and hospitality action are definitely those peeps.
1: Yeah absolutely because you know it's simple mate and it, it as we always say Phil um, our promise is we've
0: got you. Yeah absolutely. Charlie thank you so much I uh, massively appreciate you taking the time and being so open and, and honest about your journey for this. I, my hope is is that people will take Hope themselves from your own inspirational journey and uh you know keep doing what you're doing and uh i'm gonna try and i'm not gonna be able to come and try your the smallest restaurant in the world if you're retiring at the end of the end of the year i'm sure i'll get to cook for you somewhere mate yeah let that be a thing yeah we'll make that a promise shall we yeah absolutely heard it it's going in the public domain now so Oh gosh, I forgot about that. It's really open now. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, mate. Really, thanks ever so much, and on behalf of everyone of Dougie Action, good you good man. Cheers. And there we have it. I'll be forever grateful to Charlie for sharing his story so openly, and wish him all the very best in his next chapter. We'll be back next week with the first show of 2024, and what a cracker it is! So, until then, have yourself an awesome new year, and we'll see you next week.